Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free gift for you on how to scale your agency to multiple six and even seven figures and beyond by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself from the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. Again, that's 720-792-8036. Just text the word freedom and I'll send you the free gift on how to achieve freedom in your agency and life. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we're hanging out with Howard Tierski. He is a successful entrepreneur who has been named by IDG as one of the 10 digital transformation influencers to follow. Uh, He's also been named by Enterprise Management 360 as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers that will change your world. He's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Winning Digital Customers, and much more. Howard, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So uh, digital transformation, successful entrepreneur. What... uh, Take us back, man. What was the catalyst that made you get into uh, the, the digital space and uh, as an entrepreneur? Well, it's kind of two different questions because I got into the digital space uh, when I was working uh, for Ernst & Young Consulting. I just happened to be there working in the graphics department right when the internet started. <laughs> or if not when it started, when it really started to become commercialized. So uh, I was back in the early 90s uh, running a, a mostly internal graphics department. I was asked, it's kind of funny in retrospect, it was sort of a digital transformation. Uh, Back then, uh, they had a graphics department that supported all kinds of, you know, corporate communications. And they had mostly traditional people like using like drafting tables and letter set machines and things that you do graphic design in a very traditional way. If you wanted a pie chart, they draw the pie chart, you know, things like that. And they wanted to move everyone over to computers, Mac computers, desktop publishing at the time. Uh, seems like so long ago. So they brought me in to help drive that transformation within a small team of people, six or seven people. This was a very well, small scale compared to the stuff we think of today. But I started there that way and did that for a while. And then uh, wasn't too long before uh, all of a sudden people said, there's this thing called the internet and our clients are starting to wonder if they need it. And gosh, there's some graphics that are needed or something. Who, who in the company knows about this kind of stuff? And they said, well, that guy in the graphics department does. Bring him to the client. So before long, instead of both being an internal focused uh, sort of person, I was client facing and I was brought in and I sort of zoomed me up because even though I was just a kid, I was in my 20s, you know, I was the person who happened to have this very niche domain knowledge of things like this at the time when not too many people knew about it. And so that gave me this amazing opportunity to start working with all kinds of big Fortune 1000 type companies because that's who Ernst Young's clients were. And um, so that's how I uh, got into this space. I had been very interested in things like CD-ROM, uh, interactive CD-ROMs and kiosks and things like that, which are all kind of conceptual precursors to. And I, I was going to say for for our our younger audience right now, a CD-ROM was a plastic disc that we would insert into the computer to to play music and install things. So I, I think that uh, probably puts it in a context that I don't think my kids know what a CD is. So that's that's uh, that's right, good. right. 
Crazy, right? Yeah. So, so you've got, um, so you've been doing this for a while. Your your current agency, your consultancy is called From, and can you paint us a picture of of what From is today? Sure. Well, what we do is we work with large brands to help them drive digital transformation. And what that usually means is we'll go into a company like one of our clients, for example, is the Avis Budget Group. So we take a look and say, all right, well, what's the customer journey like today? What's the experience like when someone rents a car, when you know initially makes a reservation, when they pick up the car, when they're on the trip? What are the things that can happen? And how effective is this journey? How competitive is it? And what are the places where customers may not be as delighted as we would like them to be? In a perfect world, every moment, that a customer interacts with the brand, exceeds their expectations, is wonderful and delightful and also highly profitable. In reality, uh, if you look at almost any brand, uh, even, you know, Disney. I mean, you go to Disney World. Is it a perfect experience from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave? Typically not. There's various moments of pain, confusion, frustration, disappointment, inconvenience, et cetera, along the way. So most of what we're doing is analyzing that and then asking the larger question, you know, which what should we prioritize? What, that, what should that future improved customer journey look like. And while it's certainly not all about digital, it's amazing what a large percentage of improvements to today's customer journeys need to be that are about some kind of digital capability. And so what we wind up doing is building and improving apps, websites, chatbots, chatbots, kiosks, you know, uh, adding machine learning, artificial intelligence, whatever it is, not for technology's sake, but because we're looking to create an even better customer experience. Yeah, that's cool. So, so in terms of an agency, uh, how many people do you have now? About 110. Wow, very cool. Do you find that um, you know you 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 talk a lot about digital transformation, and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. But I, I was just talking with an agency owner yesterday about that label and whether clients yet understand like, is. You know, do clients yet understand that? I mean, maybe at the Fortune 1000, there's people that are kind of talking about digital transformation and, and things like that. But do you find that like the market is waking up in the middle of the night with people thinking, I need digital transformation? Like that that phrase, like is it, I'm seeing it more and more, but is it is it on the top of customers' minds yet? Or is it more of like uh, they come to you with this list of problems? Like we, we've got customers that are frustrated or we're not getting as many conversions. And then you're able to prescribe the solution as digital transformation. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, well, part of the question is, what the heck is digital transformation anyway? And the answer is, it's a buzzword. You know? Yeah. And, and it doesn't even necessarily mean the same thing in all contexts. And so, corporate world, it seems like every few years, another buzzword comes through. You know, before we were talking about digital transformation, we were talking about innovation. Now, it's not cool to do innovation anymore, but it is cool to do digital transformation. So, there's an, an element of this, which is all just nonsense, right? Which is just, what, what's the label that we're preferring to use at the moment? Well, what is basically a very fundamental idea, which is what do I need to do to keep improving my business? And in particular, when we talk about things like innovation and transformation, we're talking not so much about the optimization, just the continuous normal improvement, but what kind of discontinuous improvement can I make? Something that's going to really take my business and hopefully my customers' satisfaction and hopefully the amount of money they're willing to pay to a whole other level. And so do I think uh, companies get that this thing called digital transformation is something they need? Yeah, I think Within the last few years, even before COVID, but certainly through COVID, uh, I think that that has become a buzzword that almost everybody agrees is important within their organization. So that's great. Again, then it goes to the next question, which is, well, what do we mean by that? And so, for example, one thing I'll see is people feel they need digital transformation 
And then they'll say, oh, well, we're in the middle of doing an upgrade to our SAP system. Let's call that digital transformation. You know, now we have digital transformation. We've just slapped the label <laughs> on something we were going to do anyway, you know. So, and you know, in the end, what really matters is not any kind of label, but to really ask the question, is there an opportunity that it makes sense to invest in where the return on that investment really makes sense for the business? And that return can be in the form of massively improved results. It can also be a protective investment because the reality is, you know, my book uh, that I know you want to talk about as well, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance is what we called it. And because we've seen so many large brands wind up on that scrap heap of irrelevance, whether it's Toys R Us or Circuit City and some of these brands, now people are trying to revive, of course, but brands that just didn't keep up with the times in one way or multiple ways and sort of fell off their perch. In my book, I talk about my work years and years ago with Blockbuster, a brand that clearly missed the boat in terms of the kind of digital transformation that media and entertainment went through. And so while it's absolutely an opportunity for massive growth through transformation, it also is true that in times that are changing and customers that are changing, and that's very much what we're experiencing now, if brands don't change, then they really do risk irrelevance. And so brands really need to be prioritizing this. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white-label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's e, the number two, msolutions.com. All right, back to our show. I guess with, with seeing agencies, right, which is, which is our listeners make a decision of, do we, you know, if they are in this type of market, if, they're, if this is a service offering or a, a lens in which they're selling their, their agency's services, you know, would they lead with a buzzword like digital transformation or would they lead with, you know, something else that's maybe more easily understood by their their target market like hey we're a digital marketing agency versus a digital transformation agency you know i'm, I'm just seeing it more and more sure, sure. And i'm kind of i'm kind of wondering like you know is are are people you know not doing a disservice to themselves but are they you know is, is it yet adopted enough that if somebody would know like oh i need to i need to hire a digital transformation agency so i'm going to go to google and type in digital transformation yes. or is it is it a different a different phrase or different pain point that that end customers are, are really looking for at this point? Yes, yes. I think, for example, if you go to Google Trends and look at things like digital transformation, digital transformation agency, I think you'll find that it's trended up massively in the last years. You could even bring it up if you want. Uh, you know, I, I do suspect my, my market is large enterprises. That's who I work with. Now, I don't know, but I suspect that if you went to your local bakery and said, I'm here to sell you digital transformation, they may think that sounds like really expensive and really complicated and nothing like we need. Whereas if you said to them, you know, I want to help reduce the lines and the wait time in your bakery by helping you with a new app, they might be like, oh, that sounds interesting. And so I do think that as a marketer, you always have to know your audience and know what kind of language and what kind of message is going to appeal to that audience. And But like I say, my, my audience, my market that I focus on are all large uh, Fortune 1000 type companies. In that world, I think that, yes, everybody's thinking about digital transformation. But, but I, I think, uh, and so I would leave with it. Yes, you know, if I had a company that did chatbots, you know, for example, like one narrow part of digital transformation, 
I would be thinking about how to position that as, you know, an important part of your digital transformation because that's a, but, you know, of course, depending on the customer, depending on who you're selling to. So in some places they want that, in some places they won't. I remember years ago when everyone was implementing CLM and that was the hot buzzword, you know, customer relationship management. I remember there was more than one company that I worked with, and this is, you know, more than 15 years ago, let's say, where we, they would want to do a project that involved pulling together customer data, having a way of accessing it, everything we think of as CRM. But because they'd already had a CRM project that failed, they said, we can't call it CLM. Everybody here hates CRM. If we use the term CLM, no one will want this project. So we had to come up with another label for the project. So this is, and this is marketing, right? Even if it's internal marketing, this is how do you get people on board? Sometimes one buzzword resonates with one audience or one company or client or whatever, and another one doesn't, or, and it's not always the same. So being able to be flexible to show how whatever you're offering is digital transformation, if that's what you want to buy, if that's the buzzword you like, but it's something else if you're really just wanting something that is described in a different way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, you mentioned Blockbuster, which is an interesting case to talk about. Uh, if, you know, if they had digital transformation, if some agency, right, existed to be able to say to Blockbuster, you know, 10, 15 years ago, hey, you need to, you need digital transformation. You need to, you know, I can imagine being in a pitch today selling digital transformation, that that would be a great example company. Like, hey, if Blockbuster had had digital transformation, maybe they wouldn't be in like the graveyard of, of businesses, right? I mean, is it, is the value proposition that simple? Well, first of all, um, you know, Blockbuster uh, did have an agency that was selling them and was hired to do digital transformation. That was me. <laughs> and the company that I worked with at the time, and I talk about this in my book, um, you know, this was a big learning experience for me. And so I think one of the things that, that, that I learned from that is what I experienced at Blockbuster was we were brought in to help create the vision for the next generation of Blockbuster. And it was, if you looked at it now, 20 years later, or 17 years later or something, it looks a lot like what Netflix is today. In other words, that vision was a solid vision. We only know that because others have executed on a similar vision without our help. But you know, some of it seemed that it was obviously where the puck was going, so to speak. And uh, so, you know, it's one thing to hire a company to do digital transformation. It doesn't mean you will achieve digital transformation. Yeah. And there are a variety of reasons for that. But one of them is organizational resistance. And that is the number one reason that I observed at Blockbuster, which was that, you know, usually no one's going to object to the cool idea of hiring some innovative consultants to help you think about what the future of the company should be. But then if you present to a group of people who are the executives at the company, who are all, in this particular case, retail store people, people who maybe had come from JCPenney or come from, you know, uh, Woolworths or some other company that was very focused on physical stores, and you say, hey, good news, guys, in the future, well, I mean, imagine this. Imagine I came to your viewership and I said, good news. In the future, no one's going to need marketing agencies. No one's going to need advertising agencies. Let's work together to figure out how to make it completely unnecessary to have advertising, marketing, or any kind of agency. I mean, you're probably not going like, to be excited and jump on board that. you know. And in retrospect, I realized that's kind of what we were doing. We were saying to all these people whose careers had been about like, working in stores and building stores <laughs> and redesigning stores and opening stores, that stores are not the future. And well, they didn't, they didn't like that. Then it was yeah, correct, it's like it's like the first it was not the appealing. first point of your slide is is like is like, okay, first step, like we need to fire all of you and then we need to bring in, 
you know, people that understand the internet and then and then we'll keep this brand alive, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't thinking of it that way because I wasn't assuming that all those people needed to be fired, but they're sitting there thinking probably, you know, well, this isn't my jam. You know, if the company becomes this, then my value as a 25-year veteran of retail stores is dramatically reduced. This is not good for my career. And so are they going to support something that's good for the company, but bad for their career? Most people aren't going to do that. And many people will rationalize that it isn't good for the company anyway. Uh, and they'll say, well, this isn't, that's not who we are. You know, I mean, there's lots of yeah. stories of how, you know, well, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix, didn't do it. But there's much older stories about Western Union had the opportunity to buy the patent for the telephone. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they brought that to Western Union and offered to sell it for $100,000 or something like that. And Western Union, the telegraphs, of course, didn't see it as the future. Who would want voice when you can send a printed message, you know? Um, so very often companies, it's hard to get on board with that. But do you do you think like, like, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, let's play that out though. Like Blockbuster buys Netflix and and I mean, like I, I've read enough about Netflix to understand that the core of the business, the values, the mindset, I mean, just fundamentally different than Blockbuster. I mean, you look at their management structure, like we're a team, not a family. Like, you know, like they, do they just have certain, like they're happy to cannibalize their own business. I mean, the fact that they, they killed their DVD business, that they've they've done some dramatically, you know, counterintuitive things like that the market didn't like or their customers didn't like, but they're like, hey, this yeah. is where the puck's moving, right? Like, I don't think that that culture would have survived at Blockbuster. I think somebody else would have, you know, if they bought Netflix early on, like they would have killed it. Like I've watched, you know, big companies kill great ideas by buying them like all the time. And it's probably part of why they buy them, right? Because they're like, hey, this is a competitor. We're going to buy him and then like it'll go away. And then like... You know, I mean, if, and I didn't, I didn't plan for the conversation to go this way, but like as an agency, which is a third party, you really don't have a horse in the race. Like you're hired as a, as a hired gun to come in as a consultant, as a, as a team to kind of latch on to a core business. I mean, you know, can an agency really ever have that much influence over a core business to get them to change their their culture? Like, you know, getting, getting Blockbuster to, to realize that they have to probably fire all of their middle management and or, you know, create a whole new division that goes after digital with complete like blank check. Like, you know, can an agency really ever have that level of influence over a company? Yeah, sure. I think so. Those examples of that. But you ask if they can ever, you know, sure. Right. I mean, um, and I think that in the work that we do, we often have a profound influence, not always, on the work that some of our clients do. Not because we're so influential but because we have a process that we go through that's heavily rooted in customer research that helps identify where the gaps are and hypothesize possible new directions and test those with consumers so we can lay out uh, a case for the kind of transformation that's needed. And furthermore, help support, and, and this is again, a lot of what I talk about in my book, help support how you achieve that kind of transformation in a large organization and overcome all the pitfalls of transformation. Mm. And, you know, for every, I mean, there's plenty of examples of failed M&A. I mean, your, your question about whether if Blockbuster bought Netflix, would it have become what it is today or would it have just failed? I mean, that's a super solid question. And there's plenty of examples of that. And for just a lot, most people in the agency world are paying attention to Adobe's recent acquisition of Figma, you know, 
and but I'm not very familiar with that, but it's a prototyping app, widely used wireframing and prototyping applications. Yeah, and I mean, Adobe has like a mixed, very mixed track record of acquisitions to, to long-term success. That's right. That's right. I remember I was a freehand user, you know, years ago. Right? And I remember when Adobe bought all this, I'm continuously dating myself here, you know, which for those who don't know, was an Adobe Illustrator type product. And they, uh, you know, they, they essentially, uh, they promised to keep both products live and after few years, they killed freehand. But uh, so who knows? You know, but on the other hand, look at Walmart. Uh, Walmart bought Jet.com and that really helped catapult them into massively greater success in the e-commerce realm. And today, Walmart is the number two largest e-commerce player in the United States after Amazon. So, you know, there's certainly examples of failed M&A and there are examples of successful ones. I, I'm guessing the failures outnumber the successes, but, and even whether you do actually acquire somebody or just learn. Do you think that, yeah, do you think that Jet though, like, do you think that they ultimately got the, did, did Walmart change their like the core of who they were because they acquired Jet? Or do you think they just kind of accelerated some of their technology and, and that Walmart as a core business was was really still like, like the Walmart online is still really core to who Walmart is? Or do you think that they had to like adopt the the the, I the, think the that, mindset um, of Jet, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I think it's a combination, you know? I mean, let me give you a couple of examples. If you... If you think about Walmart's current online strategy, it has diverged more in some ways from their retail strategy than uh, one might have expected. For example, Walmart now has one of the largest marketplaces for third-party sellers. I'll get second, you know, not as large as Amazon, but, but one of the largest. That was, to the best of my knowledge, not something they were doing before they acquired Jet.com. And that's obviously something very different from the way they think about They don't do that in their, in their retail stores. Also, Walmart's gone through a fair amount of transformation in terms of the in-store shopping experience, some of which is very digitally enabled. They're one of the leaders in, for example, um, to buy online, pick up in the store. Now, I have not worked with Walmart, and so I don't know all of the machinations of whose influence caused what. And you know, I, all I can say is they're buyjet.com. Five years later, they're much more successful digitally, both in their stores and online. Did it change the fundamentals of what Walmart was about? You know, I don't know. I don't think necessarily the core of the brand is different. But if you go online, you can go online and buy a $50,000 Rolex watch on walmart.com. Is that something that would have been considered on brand five, 10 years ago to, to sell Rolex watches? You know, I, I don't think so. So I think while the core value proposition of being kind of a, a great, a place for, you know, great values for, for kind of, Hardworking families may still be there. The brand has stretched, and it's partly stretched because of what they're able to do and new new opportunities in digital. And if you and if you look at the store, I think you also see a different design mindset than uh, you had previously. Um, uh, and again, I don't know who's influence over what, um, but you know they brought in Val Casey, for example, as design director over at Walmart a few years back. She was formerly a frog and IDO, and she was a heavily digital person. But I think that you see, for example, the signage in Walmart is very different than it used to be. Very much more almost like uh, they're chasing target a little bit in terms of the kind of more hit look to the to the to the stores. So again, does that fundamentally change the shopping experience? Yeah. Maybe not, but I think you do see influence. I do think Walmart's been changing, and uh, it may be in part by because of the jet 
acquisition, and maybe in part because of the underlying things that led to the Jet acquisition, a determination to win the digital customer. And Walmart is as successful as they ever have been, whereas other retailers for sure have kind of fallen off a cliff because they haven't figured out how to make retailing successful to the digital customer. Yeah. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to let you know about a hosting platform that is giving digital agencies and creators around the world an edge when it comes to site speed, scalability, and profit. It's called Cloudways, and it's designed to create exceptional experiences for you and your clients that guarantees unmatched performance, reliability, and choice with 24-7 award-winning support. Cloudways is excited to offer our listeners a $50 hosting credit in addition to their amazing benefits of their agency partner program. For more details, head over to yougurus.com slash cloudways or use promo code DASCW when signing up. Let's get back to our show. This is such a, a highly relevant conversation for agency owners that are selling really anything in the in the digital space, especially if it's digital transformation, because it's like, you know, part of what you're selling is a solution. Hey, we're going to do some UX research. We're going to go into the data. We're going to maybe build you some new assets, right? But I, I always feel like there's, you know, when, when you check back in on clients, you know, with whatever you built them, right? A year later or two years later, right? And and sometimes it's like, hey, that project is being used and and is, is you know, the client took it to the next level. And, and sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that thing over there. Yeah, we never really did it. You know, like it's part of you. You're selling your solution, but you're also selling them to to actually change, you know, to, yeah. to make a change and, and actually, you know, decide that they want to pursue uh, maybe a more digital focused strategy uh, in a meaningful way. It's like you're you're not just selling your solution, but you have to get them to really buy into it at a, at a mindset level, at a culture level in the organization you know, otherwise it's like, oh yeah, that's it's nice. We did that thing, right? Like I can imagine Blockbuster of the day was like, oh yes, we we launched a streaming video online, or we launched, you know, there was a video right. on demand that somebody could purchase online, and somebody in the, in the organization checked a box and was like, yes, we're doing digital, right? But they, you know, they ended up getting getting eaten. Um, that's exactly you know. what happened, by the way. My team at Blockbuster, we did launch a streaming service for Blockbuster. And, and I'm sure only, some executive, right, checked a box it, and was it, like... It lasted like three or four months <laughs> or something and then someone killed it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, you know, that's why, you know, the work that we do, we try to, first of all, make sure we're really thinking about what's the end goal that is... What's the end, uh, what's the end success story look like? If someone comes in and says, you know, we want you to build us an app or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, well, why are we building this app? What's the success scenario... And also to achieve that success scenario is building the app sufficient. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes we need to change the call center. Sometimes we need to change the marketing. Sometimes we need to change the product, the pricing, the business model. It all depends what you're trying to accomplish. And so part of it's about making sure you wrap your arms. First of all, it's about making sure you're really clearly focused on the goal. And the goal isn't to fulfill the terms of this statement of work and make sure the client pays the bill, right? I mean, that's one goal. But I mean, the goal of why is the client investing money at all and usually it's for something bigger than just the slice of work you're being contracted to do. And then expand the thinking and say, what are all the factors <clears throat> it's going to take for this to be successful? Because one of the things that we always talk about in my company, and we want to be part of successes. That's the goal. Be a key part of driving success for the client. Now, a lot of times, like you just described, and there, I have some heartbreaking stories of fantastic projects we did, prototyping new projects that tested great with consumers, and just somehow the client just never, they never did anything with it. So I'm, believe me, I'm there with you. And these are always heartbreaking things. 
But we try to avoid those situations by making sure that wherever we can, that we're setting up up front a vision and plan for what's it going to take to be this to make this successful. Who needs to be on board with this to go beyond the prototyping stage? And what are their decision criteria? And what is it going to take for the customer to actually adopt this, et cetera, et cetera, so that we get ourselves on a trajectory to something that ultimately is successful. You know, our, our, our tagline for our company is vision to victory. And, you know, we want to make sure that we have that definition of victory really, really clearly defined, but it usually involves a lot more money coming in back into the bank account of the client. And if we haven't seen the vision all the way through to the point where more money is coming back in the bank account, then the vision's not complete. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you guys have a good uh, structure in place, good roadmap, good frameworks. This has been a really fascinating conversation, Howard. I think uh, I, I could probably, we could probably have you back on the show soon to continue. But do you have a Happy few to. minutes for uh, lightning round? Yeah, of course. Fire away. What, what is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received. It's probably like, you know, in the form of like the, the serenity prayer, you know, it's like, I forget the exact words, but it's like, you know, really go after the things that you can influence in the world, but also have the wisdom to know the things that you can't influence. So you're not kept up at night about those things. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? You know, I think it's my curiosity. I'm always just really interested, especially curiosity about people. I'm really interested in understanding what makes people do what they do. And that's very helpful when I'm trying to figure out how to create a product that people are going to love or engage with a client and understand what's really driving their decision process or things like that. So I think that way of not assuming that I, I understand people, but really assuming that I don't and trying to figure them out, I think that's been helpful. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable? I've been using Owler a lot. That's a sort of a sort of like a crunch-based type tool. It's a subscription product, but you can look up any company and find out more information than you can by Googling. And uh, I found that frequently, almost daily, useful. And what book would you recommend besides your own? You know, I would say um, one of Tony Robbins' earlier books, like Awaken the Giant Within or uh, Unlimited Power, uh, contain a tremendous amount of very practical information about how to how to define your goals in life, how to make good use of your time uh, and how to make and keep yourself in the right mindset. Awesome recommendations. We will link out to Awaken the Giant Within as well as Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. We'll link out to Owler as well. If you want to check those out, go to our show notes page at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, you'll see Howard's Picture right at the top, click on him, and you'll get lots of tools, tips, takeaways from today's episode, as long as well as those links to Owler and those book recommendations. Howard, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything else that you have they can check out? Absolutely. Well, I'm all over LinkedIn. I post almost every day a lot of content, videos, thought leadership, PDFs, useful things. Um, you can find me there under my name, Howard Tierski. Uh, and if you're interested in my book, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, you can find it pretty much wherever you like to buy books, whether that's Amazon or Apple Books or what have you. But there's also a website for the book at winningdigitalcustomers.com. Uh, if you go there down, if you go there, among other things, you can download the first chapter for free. Awesome. We will also add those links to our show notes page at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. So if you want to 
LinkedIn stock, Howard, buy his book, check out his book website, as well as we'll link out to your agency so people can see the great work that you've been doing in digital yeah. transformation. You can check that out, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Howard, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want this free gift all about how to scale to six and seven figures and beyond in your agency, just text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. That's the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Brent Weaver.